Good morning. Welcome to worship here at Springfield Church of the Brethren. It is Sunday, October 31st. I guess, happy Halloween. Our scripture today comes from Matthew 25, 31 through 45. I actually just opened my Bible to let you know where that is in here and then promptly closed it without looking. 702 um, and 703 in your pew Bibles if you wish to follow along in there. This is the closing of Jesus' message. The book of Matthew has five sermons. That's how he separates his book. This is the last sermon, and this is the closing of his sermon. What does he say? He said, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels are with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him. He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did, you see, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did you, we see you a stranger and invite you in or needed clothing and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on the left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger and needed clothing or sick or in prison and we did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Blessed is the word. Amen. So, last spring I got for myself the brother and forerunners card game and mug. I still not played the card game, but I do use the mug nearly every day I'm in the office. That was the start of the idea of, I really want to go over the history of the Church of the Brother and using these 13 men and women to tell the story. And I felt like I really needed to give one Sunday to every one of them because there are a few that I didn't know. And it just felt wrong to be like, you know, the people we hardly ever talk about get squished more than to one Sunday. Let's give them each their own. And so we started the process talking about how 
the Anabaptist and the radical Pietist had separated from other traditions, how then the brethren came to be and pulled out of everyone else's expectations and slowly fought against those poles that wanted them to be like everyone else. And then those problems they dealt with as they fought about race and gender and equality within the church before Christ. Until we reached Laura Wine and Gladys Muir and Dan West and today Ted Studebaker, people who, who stopped looking inside the church and started looking outside the church and building a new view of what it means to be a church in the world. Now, that's not to say that the Church of the Brethren haven't always looked outside of themselves. It's not to say we've only ever looked inside. I mean, Brethren Volunteer Service started quite some time ago. We've always helped our neighbors, whether they were brothers and sisters or not. We've always been willing to open. I mean, we... We open our congregation, our worship space, every month. We have a room dedicated to it downstairs to helping our neighbors. We have disaster relief, which goes all over the country to provide not only help in rebuilding and refurbishing houses and homes that have been destroyed in floods and fires and earthquakes and hurricanes and so on and so forth, they also provide the service of child care in the days after a disaster so that parents can go and, you know, do all the bureaucracy of handling claims and dealing with FEMA and all that fun jazz. But there was a change, a change that started looking outside. This actually started in a couple different ways. And one of them was that the Church of the Brethren did just start getting involved in an ecumenical sense. That means across denominations. We are one of the founding members of the World Council of Churches. As we went from being a smaller, well, we're still small, a sectarian group to being more of a public group, we have changed. I mean, consider my great-great-grandparents, or my great-grandparents, my, my dad's parents' parents. Great-grandma and Grandpa Wenger and Moomaw, both, their I mean, all four of them, their, flu their first language was Pennsylvania German, or Pennsylvania Deutsch. Grandma and Grandpa could speak it and understand it, but they, their first language was English. And sometimes you would get the whole switching around where the subjects and verbs were because German is different than English in that way. Or they would say funny words like uh, cattywampus. That's like catty corner. I think some people call it that. That's when you go, instead of crossing one street, you cross both streets straight across the continent. That's cattywampus. I think wampus is fun. My dad understands German because he took German and because he continues to take German classes. But he doesn't speak the language anymore. His parents didn't speak around it. And me, I'm just happy I passed German in college and got the credits. <laughs> My parents were praying that I would pass Spanish so that I could graduate from high school. I got a D. 
That's why I like Greek. You don't have to speak Greek. You can just write it down. Anyway. So that was just three generations. Three generations that went from speaking a different language than everyone else around them to speaking the same language as everyone else around them. In that same time, the Church of the Brethren has greatly transformed. We became more like everyone else. I know I've talked about this before, but just to revise, we used to have the table over there near, about where Donna is sitting right now. That's where the uh, ministers would all sit with a long table in front of them. The communion table wasn't up here against the wall behind the preacher. The preacher did not stand between the people and the communion table. The communion table sat in the middle of everyone. We added a diaz. We added balconies and choir lofts and pianos and organs and pulpits and lecterns. This wasn't our style. This is something we added to be like everyone else. And you also added people like me, professional clergy. Because, of course, before that, we had all volunteers. And I thank you for this position. But we decided that we needed to have somebody who that was their job was to handle the church, business, worship, care. But in doing so, in becoming more like everyone else, we ran into a bit of a problem. I mean, yes, there's, there's certainly been some loss in what makes this unique. But also, we've become more accessible. People understand us here. I'm not standing up here preaching in German to y'all. I think y'all is a word in German. Yeah, it means yes. Ja. Ja. Nein. Gott ist nein. I can't remember God's with us anymore. Anyway. So, you know, we've become more accessible. But becoming like everyone else has introduced some problems. And the problem's name, at least the one I'm talking about today, is theology. You see, as much as we, Church of the Brethren, like to dress up as if we were Protestants, we are not Protestants. We just aren't. Anabaptist, radical pietist, we aren't Protestants. We may use the same Bible. We may set up our churches the same way. We may even call ourselves that sometimes, but we aren't. Protestants are those who took the Roman Catholic Church and said, we are changing it this way. We are radicals. Radicals said, yeah, we're not taking the Roman Church at all. We are tearing it out, throwing it out. You Reformed folks, you, you Protestants, we're throwing you out too, and we're starting fresh with something all new. We aren't protesting you. We're not Protestants. We're not in any way official. We're just throwing it all out and starting our own. Kind of like how Anglicans aren't really Protestants either, but that's another thing. You see, the Protestants were really worried about theology. Now, theology is the study of God. I mean, that's what it literally means, studying God. It's worried about the whys, the wherefores, the hows. So who is God? Why is God? How is God? What is salvation? How does Jesus work? How does the Holy Spirit work? Does the Holy Spirit come from Jesus and God together? Does the Holy Spirit descend from God only? Does it descend from Jesus? So it goes like God, Jesus, Holy Spirit. How does this work? 
How does salvation work? How does the bread and cup work? That's what theology is concerned about. But the brethren have never really been concerned about theology. In fact, when I had to do part of my training in seminary, I had to write out a theology, and my theology professor sat there and picked it apart and said, do you know what your problem is? And I said, what? And he goes, you're Anabaptist. Anabaptists don't do theology. Oh. Do what we do? Bible study. There's a difference in that. See, theology works to make everything go together. You know, everything's got to fit. You know, if A equals B, B must equal C, then A equals C. But in Bible study, it doesn't have to fit that tightly. Because in Bible study, there's the recognition that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Paul all had slightly different points of view, and they all teach us slightly different things, and that's okay. We can hold the fact that they may not always agree all together and accept the fact that they don't fit perfectly, and you just live with it. Theology doesn't like that. Theology wants everything to fit perfect. Theology is a watch. And if one gear is out of place, one tooth is missing, one jewel is not strong enough, the whole thing falls apart. And theology always falls apart. Biblical study, biblical belief does not need that. So we brethren stepped out of being Bible study folks and attempted to be Protestants. Or at least like everyone else. And we stepped into the big argument. Orthodoxy, orthopraxy, orthopathy. So anytime the, the, the word ortho means um, correct. So orthodoxy, correct um, practice, correct life. Ortho, uh, correct practice, cor I'm sorry, yeah, yeah, let me try this again. Orthodoxy means right doctrine, correct doctrine doctrine. Orthopraxy means correct living, correct practice, and orthopathy means correct faith or correct belief and correct feeling, passion. So orthodox, I mean, we all know that. That's one that we actually hear a lot. And if I type it into my computer, it recognizes orthodox as a word and not the other two. Because we have a whole set of traditions we call orthodox. Now the idea is, if you have the right doctrine, if you have the right knowledge, then by having that, you will live a good life because you will follow it. Because it will, demand, it will affect how you act and that will change how you believe and then you will be in line with God and you will obtain salvation. Orthopraxy, which is what we now think mainly is Roman Catholic tradition, says, no, it's hard to have the right doctrine, the right belief all the time. That's difficult. We humans are all individuals. We think, we act, we believe differently. But you know what you can do? You can follow a prescribed set of actions. You can, you know... Go to church every Sunday. You can give to the poor. You can confess your sins. You can give of your time and energy and money and effort to the needs of others. 
And by doing all that, you bring yourself in line with Jesus. You are living your faith. You are practicing the doctrine, even if you struggle with it. And thereby, you obtain salvation. Now, orthopathy, that's, that's the one you might not have ever heard of. Because it feels like they haven't decided on what the correct term for it is. I like orthopathy because it makes it all nice in line. So orthopathy is right passion, right belief system, right faith. The word that we really like to throw around in theology circles is sola vide, fide, which means only faith. And this comes from Paul. You know, what do you need to gain salvation? You just need faith. You just need faith in Jesus, and that is enough. Because if you have faith in Jesus, you will do the right actions and you will have the right beliefs. So all you need is faith. They also call it right passion. It takes faith and passion. It takes that energy to do it. And the thing is, we brethren have never settled on the theology. We have never settled that we think that orthodoxy, praxy, or pathy is right. And do you know why? Because we're biblicists. We like to follow the Bible. And all three are in the Bible. <laughs> all three. It's not one or the other. All of them. I mean, after all, orthodoxy, that's Matthew. That's Matthew, you know, Sermon on the Mount. How do you live your life? This is how you live your life. You do this, this, and that. You know, be good people to others. Love your enemies. Help those who need help. You know, here are the right... I'm sorry, I'm actually doing orthopraxy. Uh, here are the right things to believe. And by doing so, you are in line with God. You are the children of God. Orthopraxy, that's today's scripture. What do you do to gain salvation? Jesus tells them, you Feed the hungry, you give drinks to the thirsty, you clothe the thing. You know, it's practices. He's not saying you have to believe a certain way, it's that you are acting a certain way. And by doing so, you bring yourself in line with God and Jesus and gain salvation. And sole vide, orthopathy, I mean, that's Paul. What does Paul say to the jailer? You know, he's in the prison. In Philippi, there's a great big earthquake. The jailer thinks everyone's escaped. He prepares to commit suicide because if you're a jailer in the ancient Roman Empire and your prisoners escape, you're being executed. It's easier to take care of yourself first because it's not pleasant what the Romans do. So he's about to do that. And Paul comes out and he is amazed. And he looks at Paul and he says, what do I need to do to gain salvation? And Paul says, believe the Lord Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. And that's how you gain salvation. It's by having faith. All three are in the Bible. Now you may have connected with one more than another. I know I definitely have some people in here I've had conversations with that are very much in faith. I know I've known people that are very much in practice or in doctrine. They're all in the Bible. 
They're all there. And so we, as the Church of the Brethren, said, you know what? We can accept all three. And we have seen throughout the story of the Church of the Brethren that people have taken different directions with it. I mean, Sarah Major, the woman who preached when she was told not to, she is obviously full of passion and she is practicing her faith. While Alexander Mack, yeah, there was some passion there. There was some orthopathy, but he was far more about following the right doctrine, reading the scriptures, understanding what Jesus is telling us, and then by practicing it. We have the room that you can approach God in all three ways because in the end, by following one, you gain the other two. They work together that way. We don't need to say it's this or that. And we also recognize that some of us struggle with one or another. Now, I, I come from a family with three brothers. And in many ways, we follow the, you know, the script of oldest, middle, youngest. I, I tend to be a rule follower, or I like to have people following the rules. I, I like that. It, it, it makes me anxious to have a car that I'm riding in that does a U-turn in an intersection where it's not marked you can do a U-turn. I'm just that kind of person. But my brother Jacob and Laban, eh, whatever. You know, Jacob, the middle child, he was never the forgotten child, though. Maybe he was. Maybe that's why he's the brightest of us. <laughs> but you know what? Jacob really likes to do things. He is so orthopraxy. You know, he, he doesn't talk a lot about his faith, but he does a lot in his faith. He's happy to volunteer. He's happy to go do work with his hands. And Laban, there's not many people I know with more passion than Laban. You just got to get to know him because he hides under his goofy outside. He also got away with murder. <laughs> he was the youngest. Anyway. Sorry. Um, last night, train of thought of thinking about Laban. That happens. But you know, between the three of us, we're all strong believers. We all have found our faith. And we're all flawed. I mean, everyone's been flawed. Every person we have studied is flawed. I mean, go all the way back to the beginning. A. Mac, he was a grudge holder. He'd get in fights with people and he'd hold on to it for years. Dan West had his own problem. So I know I've talked about Dan. Dan West, ay, ay, ay. Ted Studebaker. I'm off a week. Ted Studebaker had, I know I've talked about him. I mean, I, I couldn't help myself and it was, I don't remember, it was some Sunday earlier. So I didn't want to read the book and everything again. Uh, but, okay, so Ted was born in the area of Troy, Ohio, out in the West Central area. Born on a farm, grew up at the West Milford Church of the Brethren, where he was an active member, 
played football, loved his motorcycle. Graduated high school, went to this college called Manchester. It's a great second choice to Elizabethtown. Great second choice. It's better than Bridgewater. Anyway. So he went there and he studied agriculture. But the Vietnam War was raging around him. And before he knew it, after graduation, he received a letter calling him to the war. He couldn't do it. After all, our faith teaches that war, whatever the reasons, is still essentially sinful in nature. And he couldn't fight. He couldn't pick up a weapon. So he said, I will happily go and serve. Just give me something to do that doesn't involve actual fighting, actual war, actual killing. I don't want to be a part of that. And so he went over as part of the Christian volunteer service. And he served up in the highlands. You know, just like the United States, you know, we, we have Europeans who have moved in, and, but we had a native population. The same thing happened in Vietnam. There were different groups that slowly moved across, and there were still native groups that lived in the woodlands, in the mountains, in the jungles, who tried to keep themselves separate from these Vietnamese that were coming in. Of course, the downside of that was that they found themselves between the southern Vietnamese and the Viet Cong up north. They both felt it was perfectly fine to take pot shots at this group, bomb them, mortar them. So that's where he found himself, working with these folks up in the mountains. And he used all of that experience that he had gained to make their lives better, to introduce new agricultural practices. Most famously, though, and it was honestly one of his more minor ones, he kept chickens in a bathtub. I guess that means you have clean chickens. Seth, would that keep your chickens clean? Probably. All right. I'm guessing it was a dry bathtub. <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't seem like chickens like to be wet. Anyway. He also built them a rice polisher, which I don't know a lot about caring for rice, but from what it seems to be would mean that their food was a lot easier to produce. There he fell in love with a young lady doing the same work as him. There he got married. He extended his time there beyond what he was asked to do. And there, not long after he was married, the Viet Cong attacked him, or attacked his home, and he was dead. There was a series of letters, though. A series of letters that happened between him and Troy, Ohio. He had written a letter back to his home congregation and to the community, in which he told of his work, what he was trying to do, and he op was open about his struggles. He was op open with his struggles, with the war that was happening around him. He didn't understand why people were fighting here. 
He didn't understand why the people he was trying to make their lives better, why they were being killed. He didn't understand why young men uh, from the United States were coming over to die. He also didn't know how to express his frustration with the church. He was falling away from it. He wasn't falling away from his faith. He was falling away from the church. There's a difference in there. Because he had seen how the Church of the Brethren over the years had become more like everyone else. And his frustration was growing in seeing how it supported things, like the fighting that was happening around him. And he talked about that. Now, oddly enough, this feels like something I would have seen on like Facebook. Because if there's anything that happens a lot on Facebook, somebody makes a comment and then somebody attacks them for it. I mean, isn't that what we use Facebook for, right? Attacking each other? Or Twitter or any of those. I know I'm old, so obviously I use Facebook. You know, if you were young, it would be, I guess, TikTok? I don't know. I'm looking at Olivia. She's not that much younger than me, but she's younger than me. <laughs> you get your daughter up here to ask her. Anyway, my daughter's too young. <laughs> anyway, someone attacked him for it. Attacked him over his patriotism. Attacked him over his faith. And he wrote back. I mean, this is an online conversation taking place in the newspaper. He wrote back and told him how he came to believe that Jesus calls us to peace. How he isn't saying, I'm pro this or pro that. I'm just against war in general. And I think both sides are wrong. He said, as it says on your bulletin, I left my paper over here. He said about his faith, about his call, that above all, Christ taught me to love all people, including enemies, and to return good for evil, and that all men are brothers in Christ. Now, of the people in here, or of the groups I talked about, he definitely lived an orthopraxy life. I think there was a lot of passion in there as well, but he struggled with his faith. He struggled with the problems that he saw within the church. He struggled within the problems that he saw within American Christianity. He struggled with the problems that he saw in Vietnam. But he pushed through it by focusing on a scripture like today. That sometimes you're going to have a struggle with belief and doctrine and rules. Sometimes you're going to struggle with passion, with knowing what's right in your heart. But sometimes you have to focus, focus on what's ahead of you, focus on the task that you have, and just push. Because the downside is, if you, if you can't have faith in your doctrine anymore, if you can't have faith in your passion anymore, if you don't have practice, you don't have anything going on. And Jesus calls us to all three. At least accept the one you're best at. Now, I'm not an orthopraxy person. I, I try to be. And honestly, my faith is based a lot in orthopraxy that God calls us to work. 
You might not be that one. You might be one of the other two. Like, I'm, I'm more over here. I'm, I, I like the rules. You might be like him. But if Dan teaches us anything, it's that we can work through our struggles in faith. We can work through when we have doubt. We can work through when we are troubled, when we can't understand why the world is happening the way it is. You know, theology spends so much time trying to explain that. Why are there evil things that happen in a world created by a good God? Let me give you 14 books about it. And you know what the answer will be at the end? It's a mystery. Do what the Bible tells you to do when you're struggling with any of the... Just keep going. One step in front of the other. One brick upon the next brick building the wall to house a family. One hand over the other kneading the bread to feed the hungry. One stitch after the other to clothe the naked. One step after another to visit the sick and the imprisoned. Dan West, Ted Studebaker lived in a world that was falling down around his ears. And he couldn't understand it. He struggled with it. He was open about his struggle. But he still found the strength to follow the way that Jesus called us. Putting one foot in front of the other. Because after all, when asked, teacher, what is the most important commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So, when you're struggling, love your neighbor and figure out what that means. Amen. So, this represents the end of our, not quite series, but the end of a major section of our series. Thus far, we have had people whose lives were anywhere from, well, 300 to about 50 years ago. Still not that far back, 50 years. And our next two people are those who were alive when I was alive. <laughs> you know, who were active up through the 80s and the 90s. I'd hoped as we talked about these people from our history, we'd be reminded of who we are and why we are. Of our history. Because looking at history reminds us of where we are going. And our next two folks, Anna Mal and, and Ken Morse, that's what they're looking at, where we're going. But don't forget, don't forget where we came from. We came not from people who said we need new rules. Not from people who said we need a new theology, but from people who looked at the Bible and said, here is our blueprint. Sometimes it meant giving up everything, doing the unpopular thing, 
Sometimes it meant death. It meant losing everything. Ted was our last martyr. That's not saying much. As far as I know, the brethren only really have two martyrs. Three if you, if you count those who, who've passed from disease in the line of duty. Probably more than. So, as we move out of this time where we look back at history and we look forward, let's remember what got us this far. It was our reading. Our reading together, our study together, our prayer together that gave us the ability to step forward and walk in faith no matter what the world looked like around us. So as you go out today, think of Ted, who is willing to step into a world of danger and live his faith, even when it was frightening as all get out. May you hear that still small voice act in your soul today, tomorrow, and onward, just as it was speaking to our ancestors of faith. May you hear it. Amen.